You're quite quiet. Thanks, James. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. An early shot there for the XG. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and the Ringer FC. I'm Musuk Wonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? Doing all right. Really? <laughs> <laughs> doing all right. Thanks. How are you? Very well, thanks. Um, good programme of football this weekend. Not this weekend, Musa. It's Thursday. This midweek. Uh, it's all the same in the lockdown. There was a feast of football this week. There was, yeah. yeah. There's so much football, I kind of feel like mentally how my body would feel on like a normal christmas afternoon that's interesting Oof, i don't know i couldn't i couldn't have any more and we've not even really got to the best bit this is what this week feels like in a way because we've, we're recording this ahead of tottenham liverpool right which is probably the showpiece fixture of this this midweek run of fixtures very fair yep yep it is so it's like oh man i'm so full but there's always room for it exactly there's always room for that is there there is yeah in my experience uh, let's do some admin, because admin's fun and everyone loves it on this podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Another thing that none of you asked for. You're going to get gonna it. Get. <laughs> Wright's house this week was extremely wholesome. What is now being coined when you two get together and you two only as an uncle special. Yeah. <laughs> it's very big uncle energy. Waxing lyrical about the youth of today. Exactly. In the words of white mice. Big tune that, by the way. If you haven't, if you anyone's a, a dancehall fan, killer eighties album from White Mice. Youth of Today on there is amazing. I think we might have played out on it once. Youth of Today. Yeah, if we haven't. If you have, check the studio outros on Spotify. Should be there. Yeah. Oh wow! Look at that segue. To there we go. Nice bit of admin. Always on brand. Strategic marketing. Well, speaking of marketing, you've got a book out. I do have a book out. The first of the year. Congratulations. Thank Lisa. you so much. Thank you so much. I managed to snag a pre-order of one of the limited. Screen printed covers, which I'm going to just keep for a couple of months and then flip on eBay. Yes, yeah, so what we did was the book. We um, yeah, we did it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've got a friend actually who um, he got really stop energy. He got really <laughs> successful. He got really. I won't name him because, but we he knows who he is. <laughs> a friend of mine got really successful, and he signed copies of his own books and then sold them on eBay. Oh, devious. I, I know, I know, I know. That is a true business mind. I'm going to short the price of, in the end, it was all about love. By <laughs> <laughs> Until a load of, load, of, load of people off book Reddit get after me exactly. and bankrupt me. <laughs> and each copy is worth 10,000 euro. Yeah, no, so just <laughs> very quickly, just explain. So this, so those who don't know, uh, I wrote a book called, in the end, it was all about love. It's very short, actually. It's 120 pages. You're saying that love is short. Well, in my experience. Oh my God. Oh my God. That is devastating. Uh, talk about an existential podcast. Wow. 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 Whew. Oh my God. Moose is getting more existential than Zlatan. <laughs> oh my God. And that is saying something. Actually, do you know what? He's someone who needs to, to read this book. He needs to read this book. Listen, <laughs> Zlatan needs, he needs to send himself again. Yeah. So shout out to yeah. Rough Trade Books who put this out for me. Um, just to very quickly, like, just say, this book is basically for anyone who's ever moved country to start a new life somewhere. And 
I just want to shout out Rough Trade Books. They've had so much um, faith in me and to Abby Fellows, uh, my agent, who's really just pushed this through. It's been really emotional. So yeah, that's, that's all the plugging I'll do. But I'm oh, so- Oh, mate, I'm, I'm so proud of you, you know, because you've got like, this is the first of three books. I might mute him, everyone, so he can't Oh, God. <laughs> like I did on Twitter. Oh, God. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it would make a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> Had to mute your takes. Oh, God. You know, self-care. Can't see these, can't see these takes anymore. <laughs> I've heard snippets of this book for a couple of years now from yeah, various readings yeah, that you've true. done. Yeah. And I actually heard some of the chapters go through various refinements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tweaks. And uh, I, would, I would say this if you weren't here as well. But um, the stuff that I've heard of it, I deliberate, you sent me a PDF and I said to you, do you mind if I don't read it and wait for the actual book to turn up because I'd actually quite like to turn the pages if that makes sense. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, yeah. As excited as I am to read it, I kind of really wanted to just sit down with the book in my hands and read it because the stuff that I've heard has been just really beautiful, to be honest. And, oh God, I can't believe I'm giving this guy so much props. Oh God. In front of it. Oh, oh, everyone's, everyone's just like, oh God, guys. Why is this podcast so... Existential. But yeah, man, I'm just, I'm just really hyped for you this year because I know how much work has gone into the books that are coming out, especially the emotional energy that you've put into the, to the one that's just come out. And um, one of them, the book about your time at Eton, I know how much that's taken out of you. And I know, um, obviously, that it came at a time when you'd written a couple of other things that didn't get picked up. Yeah. And then you've got the writing book as well to, coming out. So I think, yeah, man, just uh, in the words of Mark, Martin Tyler, Drink it in. Drink it in. <laughs> Thanks, dude. On to today's show. Uh, we're going to talk Premier League. We're going to talk record-breaking Chelsea in the Women's Super League. And we don't give flowers on this show because that is a writer's house thing. So we're going to give props. We do yeah. give props. And uh, we do give a lot of shout-outs. So we're going to be talking about Emma Hayes. We're also going to be talking about the Coppa Italia and the Coppa del Rey. Although, do you know what I love about... I'm going to shout out the Spanish Football Podcast. Phil Kitramelidis, Alex Kirkland, Sidlow. They're amazing. One of my favorite football podcasts. Just podcast. I love that. Yeah. I love their hashtag when the Copper Del Rey is on from their account. It's Copper Del Yay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so like, yay. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about that because there was some fun stuff midweek. Can I just say the Spanish football podcast? What's so amazing about them is when you listen to the podcast, you feel like you're visiting Spain. Yeah, you, cause usually because they're doing it from Sid's car. <laughs> <laughs> or, a, or they're in a cab, well, when the lockdown, when pre-corona, they were obviously, they do it a lot, of, a lot of times in cafes and stuff like that. So you just hear people like serving and like glasses clinking and coffee machines going in the back. And I was just like, these guys are, these guys are on location. They're amazing, man. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is a long admin segment. So uh, let's get into the football after this. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, 
tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Let's start with the Coppa Italia because there was obviously a Derby della Maddonina. It's it's no longer known as that. It is now known as the Derby della Stadio because it contained angry goals, existential reds, and uh, all-round catfishery. Yes, it did, it did, it did, it did. Obviously, Inter beating Milan 2-1 thanks to a penalty from Romelu Lukaku and a injury time free kick from Christian Eriksen, or 90th minute, let's say. Uh, after Zlatan Ibrahimovic had given Milan the lead after about half an hour and then proceeded to do his absolute best to feel something. Yes. The actual penalty itself was, this wasn't even angry, this was rage. It was ferocious. It was like watching an alligator fight a python. It was. Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Romelu Lukaku really hate each other. Yeah, that they was really, some very, they, very personal beef. They, they hate each other to a level that it was actually uncomfortable. Anything intimate, right? Whether it's passionate in a good way or bad way, whether it's a, whether it's a couple having a tender embrace or someone grieving or, or two people arguing, two old friends arguing or whatever, or two people that were friends that became adversaries. It's actually so, there are some things that are so intimate, you almost feel like you shouldn't be watching it. And the hate between those two is so pure and deep. And I guess the weird thing and the scary thing is that they obviously play together at United. So there's such a history there. For those who didn't catch the incident, for those few people who pay attention to it, but who didn't catch the incident, um, the two of them confronted each other throughout the first half. And then at mm. the end, it looked as if they were actually physically, it's very rarely in football you think that two people are actually going to start attacking each other physically, but it looked like that was a possibility towards the end of the first half. And there was a reference that Zlatan made to, you know, going to your Vidu stuff, your little donkey, referring to, to Lukaku's technique, but also referring to the fact that there was a story, a rumor about Romelu Lukaku consulting Voodoo. Well, Voodoo had told him to move to a certain club as opposed to another one. So there's a whole backstory there. There's a whole backstory. Mm. And what's quite sad about it is that Pogba came out in support of Zlatan online. And the reason that's sad is because Pogba and Lukaku were really close. But so they fell out, didn't they? Something's broken. Yeah, and the, you know, Pogba was integral in bringing Lukaku to Manchester United. So there's a real, it's really sort of sad to see people that were close, that were friendly, falling out to that degree. Um, the thing about Zlatan though, I mean, what's more interesting is that this is a player that opened the scoring, returned mm. from injury, leading Milan's title challenge, and actually jeopardised their chances of getting a trophy that was very winnable. Yeah, and um, also, I mean, especially considering that they have started to stutter a little bit in the league. Yeah. And after looking like the only side that really had their shit together in Serie A, the closing pack are looking a little bit ominous. And they really need him to be, yeah, they need him to be the guy. And the irony is, if you'd said at half time, who's going to lose the plot here? A lot of people would have been like, oh, Lukaku's done. 
but experienced Zlatanologists would have told you that he was seeking something. He got his goal. He seemed to get the upper hand, but the petulance of that challenge that got him the yellow. I mean, this yellow. is the thing, man. I mean, like Zlatan is, has, he's kind of essentially had two careers. He's been playing professional football, but he's also been trying to simultaneously create his own myth. Yeah. The sad thing about Zlatan is that he'd never really needed to do that. Never. I think if he just focused on playing football and not constantly referring to himself in the third person, I think that actually he'd be held in much higher regard than he will be historically. I and think. should be. And should be. I think Zlatan is getting to an, a stage of his career now where understandably he's aware of his football immortality probably for the first time. Mm. What I saw in this game was obviously someone who has a deep, dis- well, two players who have a massive dislike for each other anyway. Yeah. But I think the way Zlatan was going on about it and the thing that he said to Zapata at the weekend that you mentioned where he said, what did he say? I've scored more goals than you've played games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is I strange. mean, for a guy yeah. who's 10 years his senior, I'm just not really sure what the point of saying something like that is. Deep down, I think he will be really pissed off at himself in that game because he essentially completely scuppered Milan's chances from a just a crap foul, on, a crap sack in yellow on Kolarov. This isn't a Zidane headbutt in a World Cup final. No, and do you know what's really interesting about this moment? It's funny, this Latin thing, because his legacy is, it is so interesting what it will be. And the scary thing for him is, it's harder now to name a defining goal than a defining quote for Zlatan. Mm. If you had to name his top five defining performances or goals, you know, you're, with Messi, you're like, what are his top five performances or goals? You can go like that. Lewandowski, you can go like that. Already you can do them, right? You can be like Lewandowski, Real Madrid, the 4-1, Dortmund, the five goals against Wolfsburg in nine minutes. You can get into that. Zlatan, if you say, okay, what is top five defining quotes or his top five defining goals, you can name the quotes faster than the goals. And that is a big problem for him. And, you know, I think he's obviously, I think he is definitely annoyed at himself. And you talk about the footballing mortality. It's no coincidence that the fallout with Lukaku comes, it comes with a player who replaced him when he was injured. And then when he came back from injury, didn't have the big comeback he was hoping. Mm -hmm. So you could argue that was the beginning of the kind of, I'm not sure that had happened before. I'm not sure Zlatan had ever come into a team before after an injury and there not been room for him. Obviously at Barca, there was the tactical shift with Messi, but that's Messi and you know, Zlatan can accept that. But I think being replaced by someone who he regards as an inferior footballer was painful. Mm. And this is not, to be honest, this is not actually meant to be Zlatan bashing. This is more about this footballer has done things that we've never seen before, in some ways may never see again, if we're honest, because no one will manipulate the ball like that at that size, I think, really, maybe again for a few years. And who never really quite got, he never quite got the teams. There's a lot of criticism not in the Champions League, but neither did Brazilian Ronaldo. Zlatan really never quite got the teams, I think. Mm, apart from that, I think the, his first stint at Milan. Or the first inter-team, maybe. The one that he left a year before, the one that he left um, because the next year they got the treble. So... He's always been on the verge of something and I wonder if that bothers him. Because one thing I will say, when I was on Twitter and I talked about this, this sort of existential banter with Zapata, people replied, they're like, oh no, but like he's really smart. I said, no, it's not. It's like, it's like a 41-year-old man telling a 20-year-old that he's dunked more times. We're like, well, yeah, of course you've dunked more times. Great, great win. I've got to say for Inter because they needed that too. They really needed that win. Christian Eriksen yeah, did. needed that goal. Inter have, I mean, they're still doing well in the table. They're doing well in Serie A, but they did have a little bit of a form wobble. 
not not in terms of the results so much, but in terms of the performances and the fluency of the play. And it's actually, it's quite um, ironic that they scored two goals from dead balls from penalty to free kick because they mm-hmm. created so well in open play. And I must say, I really like that combination. It's interesting. In a time of like advanced tactical systems, it's really funny. They've got an old school one, an old school front two of Lautaro Martinez and Romelu Lukaku who never get in each other's way. It, I really love it. When you watch them running and move, when they break, sometimes actually slightly too far apart, if I'm honest entirely, but they really spread the play really, really well. Yeah, it's good, huh? I'm always fascinated by someone who basically is that size, but actually doesn't dominate the box as much as he actually should. Like, it's really weird. Lukaku is like, Evans, pace and power. I'm like, yeah, but he doesn't actually use, doesn't use the power that much. Oh, there was a great uh, pace and power quote from someone the other day. I can't remember who it was. It was in the Premier League. It was a white guy. And I was just like, progress. Oh my God, really? Harvey Barnes, maybe? That's a fair shout, actually. Someone said pace and power. And I was just like, yes. I do quite like the way that Michael Richards was like, I was pace and power. (laughs) (laughs) But then he followed up. He was like, but Yaya Toure wasn't. And he gets that the whole time. And he was a genius. So Inter go through, as do Atalanta, who beat Lazio 3-2 in a bit of a thriller. There's another red in this game. Zapata missed a penalty. He could have sealed it with about 25 minutes to go. The Atlanta central defence, there are certain times when I'm like, are you defenders or you just play the ball out from the back? Because almost they invited the, uh, the Lazio forward through their, through their area. It was really a strange thing. So ushered him through. Great game that though, great game. A heavily rotated Juve beat Spal 4-0. Can you imagine anyone more frustrated about anything than Cristiano Ronaldo not being on the pitch? when his side gets awarded a penalty? <laughs> uh, the only thing more frustrating than that is just, just, is just Ronaldo watching that game in general because there was so much space and Juventus were feeding. And you could see, it was funny because it was weird. Maratta's body language. Like when he, he, he made his first attempt on goal, I was like, whoa, he actually moves a bit like Ronaldo. Like the way- yeah, that's, that's exactly what I thought. That's so right. weird because I was going to raise that point. When he cuts inside from the yeah. left and then yeah. hits that shot from outside the box. He I moves like, like Ronaldo, I was, yeah. like, I was like, oh shit, like, I didn't know Ronaldo was playing. I was like, oh my God, it was Maratta. Yeah, it looked like him. Even the short back lift, like no, yeah. no preamble. One, two touch, cut inside, bang. And I'm like, oh. So what? Have he, he's obviously learned something because the way that Maratta moved in this game was very Ronaldo-esque and the penalty yeah. was so assured. Yeah, I mean, Rabio went down for the penalty in such an elegant way that the ref booked him because he couldn't believe that anyone could get down, anyone could go down that, that wonderfully. And uh, then it went to VAR and got overturned and, and then a penalty got awarded. Here's a funny thing then. Is in the same way that Joao Felix learned a bit from Diego Costa, he clearly learned something. Mm. I wonder what Murata is taking from Ronaldo in terms of the, the finishing, the urgency, the decisiveness. I wonder because he's going to be the guy, isn't he? And he's got he looks, happy. he looks happy there. He's got Chiesa, he's got Kulusevski. Dybala. Yeah, Dybala as well, yeah. And Cristiano Ronaldo. The options that they have at Juve are ludicrous. Right? They should be out of sight, to be honest. They should be. They should be out of sight. I mean, you know, teething problems. Yeah, true, true, true. So we've got a Derby d'Italia semi-final. Vibes. Oh my. Inject it. That's going to be good. Let's quickly do Copa del Rey. Barca scraped through against Vallecano and Messi did one thing in this, which was really funny. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of playing five aside. It's really near the end. 
And you do that thing where you're like, you're on for a wonder goal and then yeah. you scuff it. And he was giggling the whole way through. That was so funny. Like I saw a Diana Christine tweet about it and I wasn't watching the game live. And I was like, I wonder what she's referring to. Cause it was just like, oh my God, Leo, lol. Or something like that. Yeah. And then I went, when I was watching it back, I was like, that's Diana's tweet. That's what Diana's tweet yeah. is about. It's, a, it's like watching a, it's the most dad I've ever seen him. It's like the most embarrassing dad I've ever seen Messi. Because the, the funny thing is, as, as the ball as it cuts away, because no one's going to ask Messi to square it, right? You just let him do his thing. It's Messi, right? You don't, that's the thing. When, whenever Messi messes up a dribble, doesn't score. If you go back and look at the highlight film, when Messi like goes past three men and hits it narrowly wide, if you go back even five, 10 years, it's very rarely you'll see someone who is standing square of Messi going, you just yeah. don't see it. Like the king, when the king is the claim, you don't interrupt the speech. This was so funny because... <laughs> So funny. Even he knew. He knew. His reaction was really funny, I thought. But um, the two goals that Barca scored were really lovely. Both kind of, not, not identical, but they're very similar, just like square balls, tap can I, can I just, guys, I've got to say this, Ryan, and it sounds a bit harsh. Can people stop acting like Frankie de Jong has started playing, just like playing football? Because yeah, like he's a bust, like he's a 17-year-old La Masia graduate. I don't, I don't want to, but I'm, I just saw a couple of tweets yesterday. I was just like, people are talking like Frankie de Jong was plucked, was found, you know, they're, they're, they're talking like he was found wrapped in swaddling clothes in a fishing boat off the coast, off the coast of Barcelona and brought in and like, oh, look at this young boy, Frankie. I'm like, no, Frankie de Jong is legit and has, was running European football. He was very, very happy doing his thing at Ajax. He's dominated Real Madrid at the Bernabeu more recently than Barcelona have. Absolutely he has. And I, I just got a bit, I, I noticed a lot on, Barcelona Twitter and look it's not just Twitter because a lot of those tweeters are matchgoers right so but they go and watch Barcelona they have season tickets my concern was always that like if you didn't watch that much of Frankie de Jong before Barcelona and he arrives at Barcelona and when, when you're a fan of any big club there is a tendency almost to be like okay now they're here now the real football begins no it already began and sometimes the club is so dysfunctional the player that you brought in cannot function to their level the club was utterly dysfunctional. Barcelona was utterly dysfunctional. We've discussed this a thousand times. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that in past tense. Honestly. Well, yeah, it was, it was, and it is. And the fact that he is producing brilliant performances in advanced position is a bonus. I agree. Uh, they got a bit of a scare. Vallecano took the lead. Yeah, a major beef with this game. Why did Barcelona not play in their home kit? They didn't need to play in pink. It made it more difficult for everyone. I'm all for pink kits. However, Barcelona could have played in their home kit. And it would have been fine and much easier to watch. Other games in the Copa del Rey. Real Betis 3, Real Sociedad 1. This game was kind of wild and extremely difficult to watch because it was very, very foggy at the Via Marine. Ilya Mendy got sent off just after halftime for Real Sociedad, which kind of changed the game because they were 1-0 up at that point. Mm. Oyothabel scored a lovely goal to begin with. Uh, Sanabria got sent off for Betis and then Canales scored again not long after. He's on hot streak. Yeah, he really is. Uh, the game went to extra time and then two goals for Iglesias in extra time. Sealed it for Betis. Another Joaquin assist. Uh, he came off the bench, 67th minute. So like I said Short, before. Almost got a late winner as well. Like I say, like you want to just catch the uh, Joaquin highlights, just switch on 65 minutes <laughs> so and, you'll, and you'll get them. Like clockwork, man. It's like clockwork, honestly. It's incredible advice. Yeah, Villarreal went through over, uh, beat Girona 1-0, Levante beat Valladolid and uh, Almeria beat Osasuna. 
Uh, Sevilla went through 3-0 over Valencia and scored an absolute wonder goal for Luke Dion's second. If you haven't seen it, go and dig it out, watch the whole thing. The way they play it around at the back and then break is unbelievable. It's actually incredible. I've never seen anything like that before. I've never seen the ball eh? be circular. Well, but circular, because Ryan, look, when, with the way that goal begins is with goalkeeper basically plays it to the left wing and the header that keeps it in and then rotate. I've never seen that. I've never seen that desperation to recycle the ball like that. When I first saw the goal, when I was sent it, when you sent me the goal, when I first saw it, I thought Sevilla were attacking the goal they received the ball from. Because <laughs> yeah. they attack, they attack, because the ball comes out and the, the guy heads back down the line and then he gets hammered across the box. And I'm like, they attack their own goal with the intensity. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, un, it's incredible. Shouts to um, Jess Malone, soccer sabbatical. I still don't think she's got over that. She just tweeted us saying, how? <laughs> All right, I think that's, that's good for the Coppa Italia and Coppa del Rey. We'll take a break and then we'll come back and do Premier League. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man, where do you want to begin in the Premier League? We have to begin with Manchester United, Sheffield United, I think. Okay. Just because in terms of the fixture, top versus bottom. Sheffield United's first win on the road this season. Sheffield United beating Manchester United 2-1. It was funny in a way. It was maybe nostalgic for the old days. This was like old United. This is the kind of game, weirdly enough, that in the good old days, United would make very, very heavy weather of. Um, they would lose an eminently winnable game or struggle. Actually, no, to be honest, the old United would have struggled and come back to win. And there was a really strange thing because, you know, Sheffield United won 2-1. There was a weird moment where once United equalised, Sheffield United looked as if they had no more goals in them. Mm. And once they scored, United looked as if they had no more goals in them. It was really strange. And while this victory will be put down to defensive errors to a certain extent, there was a moment, I mean, between De Gea and Maguire the failure or the refusal to clear the ball was utterly, it was utterly baffling, Ryan. It was so strange. the second goal? Oh my goodness. It was, well, I tweeted that they looked like table football defenders. No one took responsibility. It was so strange. No one just slashed the ball clear. It was so bizarre. The, the De Gea one was, I think, because the Twanzebe one was a little bit like, mm, right. but I think the De Gea one was the, was the criminal one. That should have just gone out of stands. Yeah. What I will say with De Gea is, he is, he's not that comfortable with his feet. Well, not as comfortable, well, by the standards of the modern sweeper-keeper, he's not at all as comfortable with his feet. And because I think the game has changed quite rapidly in that regard, yeah. there's more space to command. And I think he's been isolated more and more over time. And this, was, this goal was also almost a microcosm of that. A footballer, a goalkeeper who's comfortable with the ball at his feet will just put that into, into orbit. I mean, they still, they've still got quite unlucky, I thought, Man United. I think that you know, taking the deflection, hitting the bar and going in. Yeah, the defending was poor and they kind of invited it on themselves, but still a lot of times that, a lot of the time that doesn't happen. And the first goal I think was, hmm, I mean, they were making a big deal about it on match of the day and I wasn't 100% in agreement. I think that Ollie said that both decisions got 
the, the referee got both decisions wrong. So disallowing Manchester United's goal and giving Sheffield United's goal. And I actually thought both of them were pretty similar. So one of them was wrong. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think also, I, th- I, th- I think one of them was wrong, but. I think the Manchester United disallowed goal was, a, was softer. So I do think Manchester United had a bit of rotten luck there. But I also think that this isn't really much to panic about. And I don't want to kind of be sound contrarian or anything like that. But I think that was this Manchester United's first defeat in 13 games, I believe, in the league. Yeah, it's been a while since they lost one. I think this just kind of happens. I, I, it's one of those. It's like I know this might sound like playing it down and, you know, nothing really matters and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, there are probably some things there that Solskjaer's really angry about and he'll pull everyone up on in training. But I also think that after such a, uh, you know, playing Liverpool back to back, rotating and playing the bottom of the league, sometimes this happens. You can see, and we'll talk about a difference in intensity in a moment when we talk about Chelsea. Mm. which actually didn't end in a massively positive result for them. But still, I thought United lacked a bit of intensity and were kind of just waiting for things to happen. Mm. And were a little bit wasteful with their finishing. I mean, for example, Rashford had that one really early on from the edge of the box, which I thought he should have hit the target with. You know, there was when he was shaping to shoot for that, even though it was, wasn't too close, you, you were kind of expecting that to go in the bottom corner, really. Mm. Yes, yes. Yeah, maybe United could have created a little bit more, but I think Sheffield United and something will come on with Wolves in a minute because sometimes in games like this, as poor as the opposition may be on paper in terms of table position, Chris Wilder made a point after the game that a lot of Sheffield United's games this season, even though they're on course for like the worst record in Premier League history, they've been quite tight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been yeah. fine margins. And I don't think that this, these are, a, I think that these are a side who, for example, like, Manchester United away, they can really make it difficult. I think even though they're struggling this season, I think it's easy to forget how impressive they were last season. Yeah. And that doesn't evaporate overnight, I don't think. They've lost the tiny margins. That's what's happened. The only thing is, they've lost the tiny margins that they had last year. Mm. And that's the, that's the only difference. And I would say with United, their struggles at the number nine position have to be talked about a little bit. The fact that Cavani has come in and been a revelation, even in his, you know, sort of the autumn of his career, really shows how much they, they need that nine to knit the front line together. Because now we've established that Rashford is actually better as a kind of roving forward. And that, I think he's best at that. Greenwood has a while until he becomes a nine, and I'm not sure if he will evolve into that just yet. United do need a traditional nine, I think, to knit all that together. And it's not Anthony Martial. I think for when United go shopping in the summer or the summer after, it's important for them to bear that in mind. Because, you know, Martial has great, he's a great asset to United, but I don't think necessarily in the central spot. But anyway. We had a question from Max on Twitter, MaxMDM. It's been a tough season to be a blade. Can you just say a few nice things after tonight's performance? Like I said before, like I do think that they defended really well, mm. Sheffield United. There were a couple of chances with smarter decisions in terms of movement holding a run for a split second more or bending a run they could have been in yeah I mean they were ahead slightly on expected goals which I think gives you some kind of perspective in terms of like how little Manchester United created in terms of any glaring opportunities Mm. it has been a really tough season for Sheffield United especially after how positive last season was when they came up and how much trouble they caused some really really good football teams last season oh yeah yeah I really like Chris Wilder as well and 
I think he's a really good coach. I think the season has been tricky. I think it's a tricky season for any for everyone, to be honest. And I think that I'm not I'm not talking about asterixing anything, but I do wonder what the Premier League table would look like if everything had been normal this year. I don't think it looks the same at all. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Props to the Blades. It's nice, nice to win some football matches, isn't it's it? It's the first win at Old Trafford in since the seventies. Really, Sheffield United beat Manchester United at Old Trafford the first time since nineteen seventy-three. Wow, forty-seven years. I mean, to give you some perspective, Musa Arquanga has never seen Sheffield United beat Manchester United in the league at Old Trafford <laughs> in his lifetime. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's how old I am. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness. Hey, you've had lots of lovely things said about you this week. I've got to really address the balance. You do, you do, you do, you do. When Sheffield United last beat Manchester United at Old Trafford, Idi Amin was still three years away from chasing my parents out of Uganda. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never want to big ourselves up here, but... <laughs> Find me another podcast that will do that reference. <laughs> <laughs> and be allowed to get away with it. Yeah, that is, that, that is, that is. <laughs> wow. You are, wow. Ridiculous. It's, it's, it's real talk. I would it's, say hiding in plain sight, but I'm real. not so sure anymore. <laughs> um, where would you like to go next? Should we talk about Chelsea? Chelsea. Yeah, Chelsea. Right, so we had a few questions about Chelsea. One from Kellen McMahon. Can you all just speak on Tuchel's first game at Chelsea? Matthew Golder, is the 820 passes completed by Chelsea, brackets, the most by a club in the Premier League this season, a good sign or a bad sign for the rest of the season? Rory Saliger, how do you feel about the new gaffer, Tommy T, at Chelsea? I think that this was actually quite impressive. In this TED Talk, I will lay out the reasons why. Yeah. Let's take a walk, everyone. So <laughs> there he is. <laughs> I don't want to rice explain anything here because obviously the level of football I've played at is not that high comparatively. A couple of years ago, we had a couple of coaches who have now gone on to ones, I think one's at PSG and one's at Feder Bremen. And we were doing these intense passing drills for 30 minutes in a half. So it would be full formation as if you were like midfield and strikers against a full defense and central midfield set up and the mental exhaustion that you would have to go through to play that relentlessly for that amount of time knowing that you may not get a chance for three or four minutes or because this defense is set up legit it was pretty intense mm. and this is what I found really impressive about this Chelsea thing is that you have they had a dip towards the latter stages of the first half where they kind of got a bit passive but then you could see the impact that Tuchel had on them at half time because when they came out again in the second half, the ball movement and the passing and the intensity of the passing was relentless. And I was really, really impressed with it. Um, which was a shame because then Martin Keown and Dion Dublin completely just pissed all over that on match of the day saying that they were, it, they were super bored, which I actually massively disagree with. And I'm not going to lie, it did give me a little bit of, because I tweeted about this during the game, yeah, yeah, how yeah. it was kind of mesmerising the intensity, the intensity of Chelsea's passing. And it did give me a little bit of a, huh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not seeing this massively wrongly when Tuckle came out afterwards and praised the intensity. 
Right. Now you could, you could see just a caveat that you could also see how difficult they found it to create really good opportunities or work. It was like that final stage of the pattern of the patterns of play. They found tricky to work, but the guys had one training session. That's what's scary about it. Yeah. And also, like I was saying with the Sheffield United, uh, with the Sheffield United victory over Manchester United, they're playing Wolves. Wolves who were set up incredibly well. Yes. And therefore, it is kind of like a training drill when you think Mm. about it. When you have two opposing strategies in a game like that, I think it is very easy to see a nil-nil draw as a massive failure there when actually I think that what you have is a really, really impressive attacking performance apart from that final thing. Bear in mind, Kai Harvers had a header right at the very end, which was goal-bound. A defender was in the way. And you have a Wolves side who defended incredibly well all game. And I think both sides came out of this or should come out of this with a lot of credit. And this is the thing I think about Tuckle. I also think that there was a lot of talk about Ziyech as a 10 doesn't work. Him and Harvitz, I think, were kind of playing as two eights, really. They were which kind of like, playing as two eights ahead of two sixes. Which in a dynamic team is really effective, I think. You could say tens, maybe. Tens, eights, they're kind of interchangeable. I think that they were playing as the two advanced central midfielders or in yeah. it slightly inside. Tucked in, yeah, yeah. I think Ziyech worked in that position, actually. I'm really excited to see what um, Tuchel does with Kovacic. Because Kovacic is a player who I've long looked at and been like, there is someone who, if you get 20% more out of him, the entire team just elevates. Mm. Um, Personally, if I was a Chelsea fan, I'd be looking at, I I, I don't know, I I, I didn't get the the stick about ZH as a 10 or Kovacic and Jorginho combining for 80 passes in the, out of Chelsea's 820. I think that... I'm not a Chelsea fan and I'm excited for Chelsea. As an opposition fan, I'm quite, I'm genuinely quite concerned about the potential of this side. And this isn't me just getting hyped about one performance. This is me kind of seeing how Tuchel can turbocharge teams. Yeah. I think he kind of liked that nil-nil result. Me too. I think he liked it. I think yeah. a 4-0, I think if they'd blown Wolves away, yeah. then the same people in the studio would have got overhyped and Tuchel would have yeah. thought, you're looking at the wrong things. Yeah. Tuchel would rather take a nil though where they played like that than a 4-0 where two shots and 20 yards went in and they got a penalty because this reminds me, and this is sounding like a, this is a, this is a real hot take, but here we go. Not my first, would be my first hot take on this, this episode. But um, when Pep went to Barca, they had a couple of stumbles. The first two games, I think they had a, a draw and a loss. Yep. And Cruyff. they were like, Cruyff's opinion piece and Cruyff was like this is the best Barcelona I've seen yeah. in, a, in a long time and watching Chelsea the fluidity of all those players that attack actually Tuchel was tailor-made for this and I, the question I have really is how long ago did Tuchel have a rough idea of the squad he wanted to use in his first game or the formation because I know it was one training session but he clearly came with a clear idea he's clearly been studying those players for a long time aware of the capabilities. I'm fascinated, I suppose, by the forward line. He started with Giroud and Giroud is of this incredible pivot amid the speed. I wonder at what point, I wonder if he goes at some point completely amorphous and goes with Timo Werner at the peak and then just keeps it fluid and says, Timo, you're the nine and I want you to occupy the nine space for the bulk of your play, but also want to drop wide and back. Because I think at Chelsea, the kind of team where you can imagine, and this is the thing as well, the love for hudson Adoy. You can imagine. I thought you would, you know. Listen, the Germans know a piece of advanced technology when they see it. <laughs> Callum Hudson-Odoi 
is a supreme, supreme piece of technology. He is, was it, was it, was it Tickle who said, was it Tickle who said, um, with Rashford, you have not, you don't understand what you've got with Rashford. Yep. There's a particular class of pundits who don't, who are not aware of the potential of English players. I do believe that, Ryan. I really think there's a particular class of English, I'm not going to name names, but there are some pundits who aren't aware of the class of their own players or what they're capable of. And sometimes it takes fresh ideas from outside to be like, ah, oh, that guy can actually do that. I agree. I really believe that. Like, anyway, sorry to, God, I'm quite spiky today. Yeah, I think it's one of those. I think that a Chelsea and England legend has lost their job as the Chelsea manager, been replaced with a hype manager from the continent. The narrative is there, you know, yeah, so yeah, Tuckle's yeah. kind of up against it. And to be honest, but the thing is with Tuckle, I just don't, he won't give a shit. No. He will not give a single shit what anyone says about it until he does at one point and then he snaps. I mean, I, whatever, whatever happens, it's going to be fun for a while. Um, yeah. yeah, let's quickly move on to Manchester City. Manchester City beat West Brom 5-0. Sam Allardyce is an absolute genius and I've just beaten him 5-0. Yes, yes, yes. Myth building. Eddie Howe was the same thing. He did with Eddie Howe at Bournemouth. Oh, Eddie Howe's a genius. Eddie Howe's a genius. Eddie Howe's a genius. And they just destroyed them 4-0. Yeah, I've seen this before. We know this is what Pep does. He's brilliant at that. He's- they absolutely demolished West Brom. So I texted you, didn't I, during the, yeah. during the game? Was it during the game or after the game? Uh, afterwards. Saying, is there a case to be made that Gundogan is currently the best nine and eight in the Premier League? <laughs> Yes. And I was like, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely agree. He is. I kind of said that a big tongue in cheek, but like the position that he took up for his second goal, was it? Yeah. I think it was basically Aguero. Right. It's really weird. This is a deep line midfielder who has played deep line midfielder his entire career. And all of a sudden he's the furthest man forward on the edge of the box and making movements like Aguero. It was like, it was like watching Aguero. It was super weird. You know, like we were saying about Morata, like watching Ronaldo before. It was like watching Aguero. He's take, I mean, Gundogan is... It's just the only thing that's ever stopped Gundogan is injury. Only mm. he, he is like on his day, the only other player. It's it's funny because you know City have them both. In terms of a unique game-breaking talent, there's there's very few. There's there's like there's like five players in the league of Gundogan, and it's just because he's injured so much people don't see it. But that is a player who can raise the game to a tempo and a level that almost no one else can match. Like mm. Gundogan is Gundogan is a player who in the very final stages of the Champions League, can dance through a crowd of midfield like it's nothing. He's, he's so always, good, man. He's so good. He's he's so, unreal. so good. That is 11 wins in a row in all competitions for Manchester City. Goodness. They've got Sheffield United at home next on the weekend. Mm. They're starting to look a bit like... Ominous. Inevitable. Who knows of the season, man? It's a big catfish season, so... Yeah. Um, we did have a question about Manchester City. Yeah, one from John Squires quickly. He just said, will Manchester City be okay without a recognised number nine? I think, that, yeah, they will. I think because the thing is like, look how they're coping without De Bruyne. Right. And then they've got De Bruyne to come back in. They've got, they've got players to come back in and to play at the nine if they need it. This is the most similar Pep side. I think you mentioned it actually, so sorry if I've nicked this off you. Right. About this being more reminiscent of Pep's early Barcelona stuff than any other side he's managed since. Because it is really like when he moved Messi and all of the defenders were like, who do I mark? Yeah. When, 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 he, t- when he turned De Bruyne into a false nine, it was, sim- it was simultaneously terrifying and also like, oh, why hasn't this happened before? Mm. And he, he must have been. When he came up with it, you know they were down in his basement wherever he comes up with these supervillain schemes. 
you could tell there's a moment Pep must have been like, why didn't I do this mm. ages ago? Mm. It's unreal, actually. It is unreal. Props to Mikel Arteta and Arsenal. They played really well against Southampton. That's a tricky place for Arsenal to go. They've not done particularly well at Southampton um, and they've not done particularly well against Ralph Hasenhutl. But I want to shout out Bukayo Saka because he's been unbelievable again. And Sana Qureshi wrote an amazing tweet saying, did Saka start his knee slide before the ball hit the back of the net? I, I had to read it. Do you know what's so funny? I actually had to rewatch it. I don't think he, he doesn't quite. No, he, he didn't. Starts, she was being, obviously being yeah. a little bit tongue in cheek, but I was just like, it wasn't for long after. Yeah, I had, to re- I had to rewatch it three times. I had to, yeah. there's, there's a lot of, <laughs> you know, sometimes in football, there's these things where you have to watch, you have to have peripheral vision. Yeah, really good win for Arsenal. Good run of form at the moment. Uh, Manchester United at home on Saturday. Um, we'll see. I mean, that could, no result will surprise me in that game, I don't think. Apart from maybe 0-0, actually. Mm. We need to give West Ham some props because West Ham are playing really well and actually moved into the Champions League spots for a, for a time this week. 3-2 win over Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. David Moyes is doing some really good stuff. Moyes at West Ham and Ancelotti at Everton are just two oh, absolutely like hands in gloves. They're perfect managerial fits. Yeah. Uh, yeah, true. And I want to big up Thomas Suchek. Yep. Has drunk. Has been a, he's had a really impressive season. And West Ham have actually scouted pretty well over the last couple of years, apart from the odd mishit. I don't think Haller was a bad signing. She didn't work out. I think he was a really good player with a skill set, but didn't work yeah, out. Yeah, but also you saw how, how much a lot of that um, Eintracht front three struggled when they moved. Yeah, yeah. The only one who's had anywhere near the level of, you could say, success has been Raybich. Yeah, Raybich has really, he's, he's really brought quite a bit of his form to the new place. Yeah. Quick shout for Everton Leicester. This was a really fun game. Telemans' goal was credited to Yuri Telemans, but this was a big collaborative effort. This is like one of those tracks that's on a hip hop album featuring five legendary MCs, but just because someone's like, I want that for my album, they get credited with the artist title for it. <laughs> it was like, it was technically a Telemans goal, but it was featuring about four other players. How late did Pickford see it? That's the question. I mean, Pickford could have stayed upright and moved his foot very slightly and probably saved it. All I will say is he did a lot of work getting up to get down. It was like, watch one of those break dancers limber up at the side of the floor and they come, they, do, they throw in a move, yeah. but the move isn't that good. Pickford's just singing Billy Ocean in his head. One of the nights, one of the <laughs> nights you feel like getting down. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I just, you throw me off. Um, and if Hamas Rodriguez listens to this podcast, which he doesn't, he'll be like, what about my goal? And actually, Hamas' goal was stunning. It was lovely, actually. And he, he, do you know what though? It was one of those where, do you remember um, the Ben Rama thing for Brentford when he had that terrible control and then megged someone and then hit it in the corner? Oh, right. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I don't think this was like that because he- Yeah, beat, it was uh, because he, yeah, but he played that dreadful pass before that got cut out and then it came back to him. Okay. When it came back to him, because yeah. what I love is the way he beat, the way he beats his man on his left foot is unreal. Mm. The hesitation dribble is incredible. Like if you get a chance to watch this goal again, the way James beats his, uh, his marker to give him space to shoot is unbelievable. And then he cuts the ball inside and then just like hammers it with his right foot, which, you know, he's, he's a lefty. Hammers it with his right foot from 25 yards in off the post. Just to say very quickly that it's so strange that at the time when Zidane needs a player exactly like James Rodriguez, James is loving it life at Everton. Yeah, I mean, Zidane could also do that with a player like Martin Odegaard, who... Yeah. Um, He's going to be at Arsenal. 
Before we wrap up the Premier League, we need to talk about Burnley Villa because this was an absolute cracking game. And actually, wow. we need to give props to Leeds as well, beating Newcastle 2-1 at um, St. James's Park with just a really wholesome embrace at the end of the Newcastle-Leeds game. It was so beautiful. There's something about the way that Bielsa greets fellow managers. It's really endearing. I don't know. I would love to have known what he said to Steve Bruce. He was probably like, this is just what I imagine someone like Bielsa would say to someone like Steve Bruce in this scenario, especially with what Newcastle have been going through and what Steve Bruce has been going through. I imagine he's probably said, don't listen to what they're saying. I watch your games. I know what you're trying to do. And I believe in you or something like that. God, you made me, emotion- made me emotional there. Bielsa's probably seen something in Steve Bruce or what Steve Bruce is trying to do, or he's probably, he's probably likened a scenario that's, that he has been in his, in his career to what Steve Bruce is going through. And I imagine it was something like really sympathetic and really encouraging to Steve Bruce. I imagine. Do you know what? That's really, that's really beautiful, Ryan. Because I mean, I'm quite emotional about that because I remember interviewing a manager a year ago, years ago about um, competition between managers. And I was like, isn't it kind of like a fellowship? Isn't it? Because, oh, well, people are out for themselves. And I was like, but actually I've always believed there is a kind of like, there's yeah. a bond, there's a bond there. there. And yeah. when, when, when you see Bielsa being spoken about, when he talks to others, you're like, it's like they're all architects. It's like, you know, you're all architects working on your little different city plans. And you know, it's tough because very few people can be architects because it requires so much, so many skills. And it's really lonely at the top. And just having someone going, you know what? That's a nice cathedral you've got over there. That's a mm. nice building there. Keep on with it. You, I can imagine him doing that. Final shout, Burnley 3, Villa 2 in what was a wild game of football. And uh, I love, right, I love games like this afterwards where Sean Dyche is interviewed and he looks so proud. There's nothing that Sean Dyche enjoys more, I think, than kind of putting one over on the, a team that everyone has a soft spot for. Like he would yeah. have loved beating Liverpool because it ended that massive unbeaten run. Mm. I think Sean Dyche enjoys more approval than he thinks. And the reason I say that is because um, if you look at Ben Mee, the way that Ben Mee came out, Black Lives Matter, and was incredible, incredible yeah. in relation to Black Lives Matter, that comes from the club, that ethos, that support to speak out that freely, to feel empowered to speak like that. You don't speak that freely as a footballer if you don't feel that it's a club that empowers, doesn't empower to do so. Mm. So there's huge credit. And actually, weird enough, I don't think Daesh got enough credit for creating an atmosphere where Ben Mee could come and speak like that because it was one of the defining features. Very few white players actually came out immediately after Black Lives Matter and were like, not that they were not supportive, don't get me wrong, but very few came out with that In, vocal to that extent. And that articulate, yeah. So, you know, to me, Burnley will always, I will always rate Ben Mee for that. And I'll always rate Sean Dyche for creating an atmosphere where players could speak like that. That's a huge deal. So Burnley beating Villa 3-2, what I love about this result for them is that when they step back from COVID and the season this has been, to beat this Liverpool team and this Villa team back to back, just unbelievable validation for Burnley fans. I mean, I don't know the last time Burnley were this good. I mean, obviously sort of decades ago in terms of, yeah, this, I mean, level, in terms of in terms of this level. But I mean, also remember they, they stuck three past Fulham who have been defended really well at the weekend in the FA Cup. Yeah. These two really impressive results have had another tidy result in the middle as the filling to the sandwich. I'm really made up for them actually, really chuffed for them. Chelsea beat Villa 4-0 in the Women's Super League midweek and it was a pivotal game for more than one reason. First of all, it was one of Chelsea's games in hand over Manchester United. Yeah. Took them back to the top of the league, level on points, um, they're top on goal difference. They have a game in hand over Manchester United. 
The next side that they have played the same amount of games as is Manchester City, five points behind them. But it also was a women's Super League record for unbeaten, an unbeaten run. They are 32 games unbeaten in the Women's Super League. As Tim Stillman rightly pointed out on Twitter, they still have a way to go to match Arsenal's, back when they were Arsenal ladies, Arsenal's 108-game unbeaten, top-flight unbeaten streak, because obviously that was when it transitioned through various competitions. But the thing to point out here is that Emma Hayes spent two years as assistant at Arsenal during that run as well. But it's a really amazing achievement, especially over the last couple of years where the strength of the top sides in the Women's Super League has... I mean, there have been various threats to Chelsea. The fact that they haven't lost a game is frankly kind of wild. I mean, you look at the progress of Manchester United this season, you look how much money and investment Manchester City have made over the last few years, how strong Arsenal have been. It's an amazing achievement from Emma Hayes. Not that she needs any more props because she's an absolute don. But I mean, she will not care what the hell we say about her. She'll be like, yeah, we're right. You know. She won't care, but what, what I will, she won't care what I'll say is this. And Emma Hayes in charge of that England talent. Oh, good Lord. Would have been a big, would have been a big problem at the World Cup. And actually, it's going to go back as a historical failure not to have her in charge of that. I'm, I'm sorry, but in, in, not to have Emma, Emma Hayes in charge of that talent, I think will go down as a historical failure, I'd, in my opinion. But what I she's done at Chelsea, agree. what terrifies me about this game is a microcosm of what Chelsea have done. So the first three scorers, Kerr, England and Harder. All that's very frightening. Amazing. It's very frightening because they've got them working in concert now. Along with Guru Wright and that's the front four. They're playing this like 4-2-3-1. And my one thing was, the only thing that will, ha- will save other teams in the uh, Women's Super League this year is if they don't manage to incorporate those players all in the same team. But they've done it. Mm. And that's, that's, that's scary. <laughs> that's scary for Women's Super League, but also for the Champions League. It's scary for Europe because over the next couple of years, two to three years, I do expect to see them emerging as a European force. I think a really good sign at how, or an example or, I don't know, evidence or whatever. I'm not sure if it's evidence or what because it's not like discourse really kind of proves or disproves anything. But I think that she's doing such a good job at Chelsea and she's held in such high regard. Mm. There was, did you read the, there was an amazing Katie Wyatt piece for The Athletic? A few days ago where she wrote um she wrote about Emma Hayes actually. And there was a line in there that she wrote where it was like she referred to a, I think a piece on The Athletic about Frank Lampard and the comments were talking about who would become the next Chelsea manager. Only apparently she's in, in the piece she said only one user threw in Thomas Tuckle, but far more suggested Emma Hayes. Respect. People and there was there's, yeah, she and the, the, a line from the piece said to read Hayes' name in that context is no longer surprising. The piece is really interesting. I'd go and read it because it's about basically whether she would cross over and manage a men's team. Now, we have no doubt whatsoever that she has the the ability to do that and she's more than qualified to do so. But there's a really interesting thing in there where it's like, would would you risk that level of pressure when you're kind of going through to create a dynasty where you are? Why would she want to cross over to the men's game? Why do it? Because, I mean, this isn't a conversation I don't think we need to have now because it's, we know the answers. But I think that my personal opinion is she's more than qualified to manage any top flight men's club, I believe. Does she need to do it? No. Would she want to do it? Probably not necessarily. Um, and the level Chelsea, what they're building at Chelsea is truly exciting. I mean, she, they've stuck, but it's really, really interesting the, the difference in time, if you like, that, and obviously there are, we know the reasons why potentially, but 
You know, this is, I think, her ninth season at Chelsea now. <laughs> it was the last time a Chelsea manager got nine seasons for the men's team. <laughs> yeah. So I just, yeah, yeah, absolute props to Emma Hayes. I mean, we've run out of words to describe how in the level that, of high regard that we hold her because we, she's just, I mean, she's a fucking Don. Nomination for our coach of the year. Yeah. If Hansi hadn't done what he'd done, I think Emma, Emma Hayes would have won it. And obviously that's the award that she would have really wanted to win this season. Yeah. <laughs> the way she outthought City and Arsenal last year. Those are two serious, serious teams. Like, and she and just, already has done this season. And, or, yeah. and add to that Casey Stoney as well, who has proved herself to be a massively astute coach. Like, yeah. The problems are, are increasing in the Women's Super League and Emma Hayes has an answer to all of them so far. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, this Chelsea squad is stacked, but still. So is the City one, so is the yeah. Arsenal one. Yeah, they're absolutely stacked, yeah. Um, but yeah, huge shout for Emma Hayes. Uh, Chelsea continuing to do amazingly well in the Women's Super League and yeah we will undoubtedly talk about that on Monday's show or on Wrighty's House next week let's wrap before we do go quick shout out to Naomi Osaka yes who's yes. bought a stake in North Carolina Courage love that love that things we love to see anything else Musa nope all good you all good all my hot takes are out been a lot of them today. Oh goodness! Oh goodness! Uh, don't forget, you can check us on Twitter at Stadio, on Instagram at Stadio Football. Musa will have a piece going up on the Ringer either this week or next week. So yep, check yep. the Ringer.com forward slash soccer. Uh, don't forget, if you do listen on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. It'd be really appreciated. And yeah, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, staying as happy as and positive as can possibly be. We will do some non-podcast stuff soon. We'll either do an Instagram live or we'll do uh, a studio sessions. We're overdue for both. So maybe we'll do both at some point. And we're playing out on Lamborghini from Severed Heads. Stay safe, everyone. Much love. Have a great weekend and we'll see you Monday. Take care.